Welcome to Broadband Action, the podcast brought to you by the Community Broadband Action Network. Your hosts are co-founders of CBAN, yours truly, Curtis Dean. Todd Kilkoff. And John Ann Willow. Uh, we got a really, I've been really looking forward to this because we're going to talk about a topic that all of us have experienced in person as well as um, just seeing the trends in the industry. And that is efforts by groups trying to block municipal and community broadband networks from happening. So it's my uh, pleasure to introduce, in addition to Todd, our two panelists, uh, Doug Dawson with CCG Consulting. I would encourage you all to uh, regularly read his um, Pots and Pans blog. Well, it's always really interesting, and I just don't know how you do it, honestly. I, you must you must be like the Stephen King of blog writers because it just comes right out of your brain. Um, also on today is Christopher Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. Gentlemen, thanks for uh, being on today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the efforts that the anti-municipal groups do on, on a local level to try to stop referendums from taking place. So when it gets down to that, it, you know, there's a vote happening. And um, that vote is something where um, citizens in that community go to a polling place, just like they vote for president or senate or house, and they say, do I want this or not? One of the places that had a referendum uh, was Fort Dodge. Uh, and the city of Fort Dodge placed on the referendum on the ballot in uh, the um, uh, November of 2019. And basically to ask for authority for the city to operate a telecommunication utility. A group known as the Taxpayer Protection Alliance decided they didn't like that idea. The Taxpayer Protection Alliance, um, I can tell you based uh, on our experience that they've had a very big presence in Iowa because we've run into their paid uh, person uh, here in the state of Iowa at many, many public meetings that we've had at communities that are looking at better broadband solutions. A commercial they ran really illustrates several of the most common themes and tactics that you see from anti-municipal broadband groups. Whether they be some um, legitimate sounding think tank like the Taxpayer Protection Alliance, or maybe it's just a provider itself that doesn't want competition and is lobbying uh, against these referendums. You know, some of the common themes you find every time is that number one, cities don't know what the heck they're doing uh, um, as if they're doing a great job of updating their networks, um, uh, implying that cities are stuck in the mud, they're old fashioned, they, they, they don't adapt technology, they, they don't know how to operate a business, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a pretty common one. The T word taxes is always, always a big part of these attacks. Um, even though in many, if not most cases, there are no tax implications to building a municipal broadband network because most, if not all of them are financed primarily through revenue debt uh, and never are uh, reflected on a tax bill. Um, but that doesn't stop you from saying it's going to raise your property taxes. The, they always like to talk about facts um, where they will provide so-called failures, where the facts they show are really more like snippets of information without context and generally cast a misleading story on that community. 
Um, you saw Muscatine there as a big failure, such a huge failure, in fact, that while they've been able to refinance it and, and, and rebuild their entire city to fiber in the home, and such a failure, in fact, that the previous cable company just decided to leave town because they lost all their customers. So uh, those, those they, they paint as failures by finding little bits of information there that, that, you know, don't let the facts get in the way of a good argument, in other words. And, and finally, another one that, you know, it basically an implication that debt is bad, that debt won't be repaid, that a city is going to build this network uh, and they're going to borrow a bunch of money and it's just money down the drain. There is, there, there is no acknowledgement that that debt pays, it, it will pay, it has to be paid over a period of time and is paid through the um, revenues that it collects. So, so that's, that's, our, that's our friends at the uh, uh, Taxpayer Protection Alliance. And that's just one example of kind of these anti-municipal referendum um, uh, things that you see. Um, I think we should also start by letting, you know, people know that if that was the case, there wouldn't be advocates for it. Absolutely. Uh, what we know in the industry kind of is why we're even having this, this uh, conversation today. It's because if the business plan can't support um, an update of an entire technology cycle two or three times within that business plan, we would never recommend that to a policymaker. Okay. Ultimately, there's not been a default on, onto a tax base, but what we do know is that property taxes are reflected of property tax base. And they're not everything, you know, so the health of a community over like 20 years, it, it's not that much different than investing in a TIF project that ends up having an employer, that, like in it all had one, the left town was, and, the, and there was tax base though, that was held uh, the benefit of the community. I mean, there are studies, but studies can be manipulated. However, like you said, the refinance um, and yeah, the, the debt usually gets repaid. So yeah. uh, if not, refinancing happens all over the American economy. Cities do it all the time. Businesses do it all the time. In fact, uh, that's nothing different than what just Frontier just did was default on a bunch of bondholders for the entire, by purchasing customers, not investing in their base, and then turning around and having low revenues, no infrastructure, and then refinancing the debt in bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are all just what I would say is, what we try to say is yes, if these were the bad things, we would like them to be better uh, and not recommend them. Exactly. But yet this model uh, actually augments those in the total broadband picture, not just public. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with more of Broadband Action. Doug. Christopher, you you've encountered a lot of this over the years in your travels, and I, you know, Christopher, probably you've you've probably documented more of this than than any of us have seen. Uh, maybe share some of the things that you've heard, some of the messages you've seen on that local referendum level over the years, and some of the tactics you've seen used. Yeah, I'll just kick it off, hopefully yeah. quick, because I'm sure Doug and I can go back and forth with y'all. Um, you know, this one that you missed, which is very common and applies to the three of you all, but not me. You are all billionaires uh, because of your lucrative consulting contracts. Uh, oh, yeah. That's a common enemy is uh, the consultants who are just here to uh, charge exorbitant fees and, uh, and make it big. Uh, and I will say that, like, I'm not going to generally defend consultants. Um, I feel like there's a, is, as a space, as a, as a profession, there's a lot of areas in which consultants don't do right by their clients. 
in this space, the consultants that have been at it for, for more than 10 years, for 20 years, like Doug and others, mm. um, they have a history that you can look at. <laughs> and first of all, they're not millionaires. <laughs> like, um, you know, they're people who care deeply about this and, and work in it and their advice can be checked. You can see, what did they say 10 years ago? And did it come true or not? Um, I trust Doug because I've seen um, the advice he gives his clients and what the results are. Um, and then another one is, is just outright um, um, lies, uh, robocalls that spread just lies that are indefensible, um, often conducted by firms that are from out of town. Um, mm -hmm. So um, there's others, but those are two that, um, that we see regularly uh, with these referenda. Well, and, and let me jump in. You know, let me give you two examples of actual tactics and referendums. Uh, one was in, in, in uh, Chris's backyard. This was years ago. The city of North St. Paul uh, had did a study and they, and they had to have a referendum to get it passed. And they had done a survey and the public was overwhelmingly in, in support of broadband. The day before the vote, and, and it turns out that this referendum, this was the only issue on the, on the, on the ballot that day. Um, six bus loads of, of 20-year-olds popped into town the day before the vote knocked on every door in town and went through your list. Property taxes are gonna go, did you know property? You know, face to face, never, none of them ever told the people who they were from. We don't know, we assume it's the cable company, but you know, they didn't identify themselves, but they knocked on every door and sure enough, the referendum lost, you know, completely blindsided. And North St. Paul's not a big town, it's a little tiny town surrounded by St. Paul. And so it just got, the referendum just got creamed. And, what we think probably happened is people just were dissuaded from going to the poll in the first place mm. is what happened. Um, it's, it, another example. As yeah, a St. Paul resident, um, talking yeah. to folks that were up there, um, in North St. Paul is a separate municipality, but but there was this sense of like, when you ask people why they were voting, they would be coming and say, I, I'm not really sure, but I know I have to vote no. And and right. there was there was a sense, it was not what we'd like to see in terms of the ideal referendum of people having cast informed choices. And, and I guess that's something we can come back to is, is what proper expectations are on these votes. But I just want to say, like, there was definitely this sense that like, people weren't like, I've weighed the options and I've decided to vote no. It was a lot of people who said, I just have to vote no. That's what I understand. Yeah, the second example was one of the earliest ones, and it was in this Lafayette, Louisiana. And somebody who was probably Cox or it could have been AT&T, but again, never identified, paid for a push poll. And this was a true push poll because it never actually solicited any responses. You're, the questions were like, did you know that if, if Lafayette uh, launches a system because they're a city, they're not allowed to, sh to have cable on, on Sundays? <laughs> I mean, just the most, the most, re and there were like a hundred of these questions. And actually I should have pulled this up ahead of time, but if you search on the web under Lafayette fiber, um, um, I have the referendum, the, the entire push, a guy recorded the whole darn thing, uh, John St. Julian's, they called him and he recorded the whole thing. It's just amazing. There's almost no legitimate questions out of the whole hundred. And, and it was just a smear. I mean, it was just a smear. It was the whole thing, property taxes, you know, cities are clowns. I mean, it's unbelievable lies in this push poll. And so it was, yeah. it was even worse than that, Doug, because yeah, one of the yeah. questions was specifically elicited to um, exacerbate racial tension. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it was and, just horrendous. I mean, it was just, yeah, that's, <laughs> that is one of, and that's, uh, we'll say that's not something we would expect to see in most no. places. That no. was an extreme. But these people that um, are often, 
people with questionable morals who are being hired by other people who might have been themselves gotten money from yet another party. And so they're, they're just it's sort of a race to the bottom in terms of tactics in some cases, because these right. are not these are not campaigns often conducted by a person of good standing in the community that is worried about their reputation after this campaign. And, and to go back to the St. Paul one, those busloads of people were not hired directly by and, and interviewed by the cable company. It was three people down the chain. By the yeah. time somebody hired them, this was a completely ugly situation. And that's exactly what happens. So, yeah. A lot of times the providers will want to insulate them oh, yeah. from that direct. Point. Oh, no, they, they act surprised. It wasn't us. <laughs> Yeah. It was these cockamamie organizations never, that don't exist. Yeah, we would never do that. So one of the common things we've seen lately is uh, is is um, commercials of people in traffic, and this is actually more common prior to the pandemic when um, we got into traffic jams regularly. So it may not be as <laughs> as uh, as effective. But and in in Fort Collins, for instance, there was a bunch of these that said, you know, your city is about to spend, and then an inflated amount that's well beyond what the city was really likely to spend on broadband, wouldn't you rather have them improve the roads? Um, you know, wouldn't you rather have this other thing rather than this wasted money on broadband? So that's a tactic that hasn't worked great, but is like one that I think can resonate in the right places. Well, they, they ask enough questions that they're hoping one of them sticks with each person is what they do. So if you throw out 11 lies, they hope that one of them gets to each of the people they grab. So it's, it's, it's really a, an ugly thing to watch. Luckily, over the years, the vast majority of referendums have passed. So these tactics turn out not to work. But uh, the one in North St. Paul was very effective. That's what killed it. I mean, that was, that was as effective as could be. So. I wanted to bring up uh, something that happened here in Iowa. You mentioned Lafayette, that was 2005. The same year, we had a whole wave of communities vote on the same day for uh, municipal broadband authority. And um, that was, um, I believe it was 32 or 33 communities voted. About half approved it, about half did not. But I, I looked up the statistics from that campaign. There were several different groups that just appeared out of nowhere to fight those elections across the state of Iowa. One was called Project Taxpayer Protection, which sounds incredibly legitimate. Uh, most of its funding came through Mediacom. And that fall, that particular group spent $1.82 million to defeat wow. the elections. Another group, called the Citizens for Common Sense Solutions, which was primarily coordinated by Iowa Telecom, which then became Windstream. Um, they only spent about $60,000. So uh, that they obviously didn't have the cash. And then there was a third group, Iowa Competitive Telecommunications Coalition, which was primary, primary, primarily financed by Quest. They dropped another 30,000. All told, just under $2 million was used by those groups to say vote no in those referendi and all the pro muni spending total across the state of Iowa that year was $92,000. Now I, I have to jump in and say, there is nothing wrong with the incumbents lobbying against a bill that hurts them. They have every right in the world to do that. They just, they just shouldn't do it with this long list of lies. Yeah. You know, if, if they came out and gave legitimate discussions about you know, how they think they're doing a good job, that would be a different situation, so. Yeah, that, that's absolutely true. And 
and and uh, you know we've we've had that conversation with people. The, it is it is a person could be legitimately think it's a bad idea for philosophical reasons. They don't believe that government should have any role in something that's provided by the private market. That might be a legitimate underlying concern, but then you take that underlying philosophy and you apply a bunch of garbage statistics to it uh, to make an argument. Uh, that's when it becomes really kind of disgusting. Yes. One of the things that I think is worth discussing is this threat of how much money it is and the idea of debt being bad. Mm -hmm. um, and and I'm I'm actually much more fiscally conservative than um, than anyone suspects. Um, I'm you know very interested in how government is financed, how programs are financed, and um, and I you know I think it is well worth considering how one is structuring debt, what kind of debt is being contemplated, um, how long it is. Um, but at the same time, it is worth remembering these projects are just not that big in the scale of things for most cities. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this is a project that um, is probably on par with a uh, sports stadium um, in, in a major city or is on par with, um, you know, a major bridge, a major road project. Um, fiber optics are expensive, but they are inexpensive compared to the cost of building electric networks, water networks, m sidewalks, like it's just, you know, like these, there's a lot of things that are more expensive than fiber optics. And so cities, cities can make investments that are poor decisions in general. My organization is very anti-incinerator. Some cities that have built incinerators, the scale of that investment, if it goes very bad, can bankrupt the city. There is no municipal fiber project on the scale that could bankrupt the city, no matter how bad it got. That is just the, the scale of the investment. I mean, in the worst case scenario, the city would have to raise its taxes. People would be frustrated, legitimately so. Elected leaders would lose their positions because they abused the position of trust. But this is not something that our children are going to be saddled with the debt of um, unnecessarily. These, these investments are just not that big. Well, on the flip side to that, Chris, is no citizens are going to be upset if they fund a network and it does go south because they still have the network. And a good example is Provo. Mm. You know, Provo had to open an open access network. It just didn't work out. What happened to them was all the ISPs just sort of died. They were down to two ISPs and they just basically sold it to Google Fiber for a dollar. It's a more complicated story than that. But, but the people in the town are still enjoying that network. It didn't, you know, even though the city had to pay the debt off, um, no, people aren't mad about it because they still have a fiber network to everybody's house. Right. So, you know, it's, it, this is not, you know, it's not a big downside to this stuff. So there are a few people mad about it, but there I would are say a few. It, it's not a majority is from what we yes. can tell. Yes. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with more of broadband action. Uh, so cause it's up in your neck of the woods, Christopher, let's talk about, um, the, 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 what is the town that was mentioned? Monticello. Monticello. So let's talk about Monticello because that seems to be the whipping boy of these anti-music municipal. You see it almost yeah. every list. You know, it's it's interesting because they'll say things like, "The problem with Monticello is that you should have a pu public-private partnership for this sort of thing," and they seem to forget that 
Monticello is a public-private partnership. <laughs> and, like, and, and Doug actually knows this story very well, too. Um, but, but Monticello decided that they wanted to work with a local company. They built a network, and they got sued um, illegitimately. The lawsuit was tossed out of every last one of the courts that considered it as fast as that court could process it. Um, and it was viewed as being entirely without merit. Um, nonetheless, the city lost a year and the city um, never recovered from that. And at the same time, Charter Spectrum, which um, this part of Charter Spectrum, the folks who make these decisions, they have done this elsewhere too. They engaged in the most fierce predatory pricing that we have seen ever. This is 10 years ago and Charter Spectrum came in and said, we are going to offer $60 a month service for our best broadband and every last channel that we offer for two years at $60 a month, $145 a month package in any other city in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And they offer that for $60 a month. And so the city and its partner struggled to get enough customers then to, to pay their debt. And they ended up giving the bondholders um, a, um, a haircut. Now mm -hmm. in the city, um, they had to then subsidize the network moving forward, and they still do with funds that they have from their uh, liquor store, because in Minnesota, you can have a monopoly liquor store run by the municipality, and so municipalities use that for special projects. And so um, no one's taxes really went up on this, um, although you could argue, you can make all kinds of arguments about those tax dollars might have been used for other things, that taxes were raised to pay for, whatever. Like, I'm just trying to be as honest as possible in this. In Monticello, you have one of the most competitive markets in the upper Midwest for service, where you have two fiber, you have one fiber to the home network, one network that is fiber in some cases to the home and other cases is not from TDS, and then Charter offering these ridiculous deals year after year in order to, um, in order to make sure it's not losing customers. So people in Monticello have saved at this point more than $10 million cumulatively uh, from lower um, costs from that competition. Which, by the way, is more than the cost of the network. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Curtis and I talk to policymakers a lot about that. It's not everything that's going to happen or could happen is going to show up on your balance sheet. I mean, you have to know that. And so we're really brutally honest about that going in. The, the union defines success in as many broad ways as possible, whether it be your tax base or your customer bills or avoided costs for municipal services. Um, just make sure that you have those, the way to capture the data and that you're leaders are going to appreciate it, then you can be more bulletproof. I know a lot of communities that got in in 2000 really didn't do that here in Iowa. And then when it came time to rebuild or redo or extend, the idea was, well, you're not doing good enough. And it's like, well, let me come up with these measurements. Well, you just made that up. Oh, yeah. no, it's not my fault. You didn't define it well to begin with. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Broadband Action Podcast. We encourage you to like or subscribe for future content here on the podcast. Spread the word. And thanks for joining us.